so the other the other week, um, a friend of mine came over. She was going to help me organize my house, some things in my house. Um, and as it turned out, she was kind of revolted by the fact that I had <laughs> CPUs in my kitchen. Um, I, I, I made a tweet about that, which yeah, I, I, will, I will link in the show notes. Um, yeah, that was... Uh, that was really funny. <laughs> it, it, it really wasn't funny at the time. Oh, like geez. Now I look back and I go, yeah, that's, that's classic. That's, that's me. That's really yeah. funny. Okay, Jeff, so I have an interesting question, thought, process, roundabout way to get to a discussion that... Uh, roundabout. Yeah. But more so, so than we're our normal talk... episodes, you mean? Roundabout? Yeah, more so. Oh, Lord. Guys, gals, just go get yourself a beer or something to set up, because it's going to probably take a while, I think. We'll, we'll try to hasten it, okay? But uh, in our typically rambly style, this is, this is going to be pretty interesting, I think. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah, so feudalism. Let's let's talk about feudalism. Oh, what? And let's what? specifically talk about feudalism in the Western Hemisphere. What? Okay. Yeah, sure. I, I promise. I promise this relates. I will tie it back. Okay. So the other the other week, um, a friend of mine came over. She was going to help me organize my some things in my house. Um, and as it turned out, she was kind of revolted by the fact that I had <laughs> CPUs in my kitchen. Um, <laughs> I, I made a tweet about that, which yeah, I, I will <laughs> I will link in the show notes. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was really funny. <laughs> it, it, it really wasn't funny at the time. Oh, like geez. now, I look back and I go, "Yeah, that's that's classic. That's, that's me." That's really yeah. funny. But like, the look says, on do her, you not? The look on her face was like like part disgust, part what the hell is wrong with you? When she asked me, like. <laughs> Why do you have this? And like me, sarcastic, snarky me, the only response I could think back was, well, why not? Like, do you not? <laughs> and then, oh yeah. So, okay, I'm, <laughs> let me actually just pull that up real quick so oh I, can, no. I can read the actual thing oh no. um, for people. You should go check out the tweet because it, it actually includes a picture. So eventually we'll even get around to the roundabout talking about feudalism. Yeah, we'll I'm get sure there. This, we'll this get relates there. somehow, I'm sure. This is the intro. So anyway, okay. yeah. So I opened, <laughs> I opened epic up the doors, the way. and there's a drawer full of CPUs in my kitchen. And she's like, "Do you have a drawer full of CPUs in your kitchen?" And I respond, do you, "Me being snarky, do you not?" And like, she immediately was like, "Okay, f this. Not, and I'm not, I'm not having any part of this." So she then asked me, "Well, is there any normal area of your house that I can help you organize?" So again, me being snarky and sarcastic, I'm like, well, define normal because, you know, that could vary. And she just points at the drawer and she goes, not this. <laughs> yeah. To which I was like, well, oh, then no, there's 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 no parts of my house. No, there's really not. No. And yeah, it's an adventure in every room. All there, the time. There, yeah, there really is. And I uh, thankfully she didn't then open the other drawers because, as I mentioned in a follow up tweet, the cups are beneath the ECC DDR3 drawer. <laughs> um, because, I mean, right obviously, the shrunken heads. That's, that's where you keep it, right? <laughs> and the scalpels. So after realizing that there was no sane organization that was going to come to my house that day, we decided to go just get something to eat and then walk around the town because it's it's a small town you can walk around the whole town in like an hour right yeah so anyway while we were walking around we were just catching up and she mentioned that she had been reading some books about south america and when the european monarchies started to get into colonialization and the conquistadors came over and did their thing and she found it really fascinating and the thing she said mm -hmm. she found more fascinating was the disparity between how colonialism worked in North America versus South America, because those two yeah. are vastly different, how they happened. And the end result after hundreds of years is vastly different. If you look at Canada and America, that's very different than if you look at Argentina and Brazil. Yeah. Very different outcomes. Now, yeah, I know geography and there's a ton of other things that go into it, but she said that when reading the books that she was doing, she kind of noticed a trend, and that was 
when the Spanish came in, of course, you had tribal cultures in South America, but those tribal cultures were very hierarchical and had one person at, at the top. Mm -hmm. And all the conquistadors had to do was basically supplant that person. And now they were the chieftain. Mm -hmm. And in those South American tribes, the chieftain kind of owned everything. So in that way, it was kind of a mirror of what they knew from Europe, where you had kings and, and the lords and all that. So the conquistadors now, well, now they're in charge of the tribe. Everything the tribe owns and the tribe does, they have access to and have control over and then can, mm -hmm. you know, pull wealth and value out of. And this happened all over South America. Mm -hmm. Whereas in North America, when the British came over and all the other Northern Europeans, when the French tried theirs and the Dutch did as well, that was not the attitude. That was not the way things went. So you definitely had tribes in the area, and those tribes definitely did have chiefs, but the leadership of the tribe was a little different. And the Europeans that were coming over did not like try to take over the tribe. So when the English and the French and the Dutch met with the Iroquois, the, the response was not, oh, well, we need to take over these tribes, so now we control the Iroquois. It was just, we need to push the Iroquois out of this land, so then yeah. they're not here, and it's now ours. So it was a replacement, not a take control of. Okay. And the other thing that's different is in South America, the conquistadors, their entire plan was to get rich off of the wealth of the tribes that they were taking over. The people from Spain that came here, like, that's what their goal was. Whereas in North America, all the towns and the colonies that got set up were people that came here that wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to mm -hmm. build their own future. They intended to stay as opposed to taking resources back. Correct. Mm -hmm. And what this led to was the, the, the issue of, you know, they built the town, they put in the effort, and they believed they had ownership and control over it. So when the British monarchy decides, oh, well, we're going to grant this area of land to this guy, he's going to own it, he's going to control it. Um, like, for instance, uh, Calvert was granted all of Maryland. Mm -hmm. Well, it didn't really go over with all the locals in the area, because the locals that were in the area are like, oh, excuse me, like, we built the settlement, like, mm -hmm. we put in all the effort. Who are you? Oh, the king said you were, you were somebody fancy, then you're supposed to get our money? Like, eh, we, don't really, we don't really think so. And of course, that then over generations resulted in the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. The colonies were like, yeah, no, we're the ones doing all this effort. You don't get to take what we own and then do what you want with it and just benefit yourself. Like this is side, all side of us working there, together. Though, they owed a big bill for the, uh, the defense of their colonies. So oh, yeah, kind of they absolutely yeah. did. But again, right. But again, if you look back at the way feudalism worked in England, for instance, you know, you lived in a certain area and the fruits of your labor, if you sold, you know, if you were a farmer and you sold things, well, A, mm -hmm. the, the lord or baron or whoever you were under, well, they had automatic ownership of a certain percentage of everything you did, regardless, mm -hmm. just because you were in their land, because it wasn't your land. It was their land. Their land. You were, you were living on it and taking care of it and borrowing it, so to speak. But they also had control over what you could do with your crops. Like you couldn't just sell your crops to anybody. You could sell your crops to who they deemed was, was the best person. You couldn't deal with people from other areas on your own unless the lord or baron or whatever approved It was not of a it. free market at all. Right. It was a controlled market. You could do what they allowed you to do, how they allowed you to do it, at what cost they allowed you to do it at. And then they were taking a skim off of every single thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the colonies before the revolution, that wasn't as much in play. I mean, it still, it still was there. There was still taxation, mm -hmm. but it wasn't to the degree of what we had seen previously in Europe several hundred years previously, because obviously things had changed in Europe by that time because right. the leadership realized, oh, this doesn't go over well. People, <laughs> people really don't like this. Whereas that never really happened in South America mm -hmm. and Central America. So anyway, all of this being said, there arrived two different kind of distinct philosophies where in North America, you definitely had the fruits of your labor. You own your work. 
and you then have rights to that effort, that labor, and all the benefits that come out of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Central and South America, if you're part of a tribe, all your work and effort belongs to the tribe and to the chieftain. And you got the little part that you were allowed to have. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter that you were putting in all the work and all the effort. You didn't own it. You weren't the one that was going to benefit from it the most. And while she was explaining this, I thought, okay, so realistically, these, you know, chieftains or, or whatever, they owned the land, which, okay, that's a thing. But all of the actual work done, all of the value that was created was not created by the chieftain. It was created by all the people. Mm-hmm. But yet the people weren't the ones that were profiting it was the chieftain that was profiting. On behalf of the village, ostensibly. Ostensibly, right. And I started thinking, hold on a second. That is exactly how social media works. Hmm. Facebook, Twitter, all of those. Facebook has a platform that they built. And yeah, there's, some, there's a little bit of effort that goes into that. But all of the value that Facebook has is not based on the servers that they own. It's based on the effort of all the people that are using mm. that platform. Okay. That's where the value is. All of the people are doing all of the value generation, and they're not really getting any of the value of that. Facebook is getting all of the value from all of the data that they have. I don't know that I can agree with any of the value. So you and I are having a discussion right now. We're using Google Meet to do it. Is Google profiting from this discussion? Yes. Right now. Okay. But so am I. I'm hearing you. You're hearing me. We're sharing words, ideas, discussions. Each of us is getting something from this exchange, even though the data ultimately will reside with Google. Well, that and I'm paying for the service because I have a business account with Google. That's right. I forgot about that. Okay. And they can do data metrics on my account and your account because we Mm -hmm. both use Google Mm -hmm. and scan through all of our emails. So, yeah, I'm not saying that I, I don't get any value out of it. Okay, that, that's right. not what I'm saying at all. Okay. By and large, though, Google get, extracts far more value than what I get. That I will not contest at all. That's exactly true. Yeah. So if, if you look at, at Facebook, yes, there are things that Facebook is beneficial for. The network effect they can find, you know, if they're a small business, they can find clients, they can network with people, mm-hmm. family, they can... I, yes, the there's, definite benefits, that, yeah. there's mm-hmm. definite benefits that people get. However... The benefit to the individual is minuscule compared to the mm-hmm. billions and billions and billions of dollars in value that Facebook is extracting from other people's work. Mm-hmm. All they are doing is providing a space, like a marketplace, that they own, that intrinsically in and of itself has no value. The value that they are, they are extracting and the value that the platform has the marketplace has is 100 percent based on the efforts of others okay so you use the words extracting work or extracting value i don't think people on facebook think of it as work i mean i don't really facebook but i, I in the past i didn't consider it work and i was trying to connect to family members or, or facebook stalk some pretty girl that i was wanting to, to find more information about that didn't seem like work to me, but it certainly is valuable to them. So maybe part of this, we need to account for the fact that it's not work. Whereas in the, in the model you're talking about in South America, I'm working for the village. I'm hunting or I'm, I'm, I'm growing some crops or I'm raising some children or I'm building weapons or something. Manufacturing clothes for the village, for the nation. That's work. But the, well, I happen to be talking to the person next to me who's also lacing up a moccasin and we're talking and we come to the conclusion that wow moccasins really suck we can do something better that's not work that gets turned into the chief maybe the results do but that if that belongs to chief if that idea belongs to the chief of the tribe then i don't consider it work i was just having a casual conversation with the guy next to me because i was bored okay but that's based on your definition of what is work and what isn't work okay because at the end of the day it's still effort that's being put out when you go onto facebook to talk to people you're creating effort and because it's digital this there's not a physical thing that you're creating what you are creating is defined by like physics or something you know well i mean you could term it that way but what you are creating is an enormous text ledger 
of all mm-hmm. of your conversations with people. Writing a book is a lot of work. I mean, mm-hmm. oh yeah, it's just writing words down. But people write thousands and thousands and thousands of words on Facebook and don't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. It's still work. It's just not work that they mm. think actually... It's work, but they don't think it is. Which is also okay. why people generally say find something that you enjoy doing for work because then it's not as like it's work. But it still is work. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the kind of the, the thought that I had was have we just recreated feudalism in the digital era where all of the people are creating all of the value, but the value is uh, is owned and is controlled by a very few individuals or very few companies Companies, yeah. that by themselves have nothing of value outside of what we create. Like, yes, Facebook mm. owns a lot of servers, but if those servers didn't have data on them, they wouldn't be worth anything other than the actual physical value of the silicon and the steel and aluminum and so on and so forth. Okay. I'm struggling to agree with you. And it's not just because I'm contrarian, but it feels like there's a piece missing from it. I, I like the conclusion. I like where it's going. I think that that's a very good analogy. It just feels incomplete. And I'm trying, I can't quite put my finger on why. So maybe it'll come to me as we, as we keep going through this discussion. It seems like, uh, not, not, not quibbling over whether it's work or not, but it's easy for us to say what things has Facebook made? And you could say they made data centers, they made servers, they moved electricity around. You could be all minimalist and, and try and take away all their, their victories and their thing. They have built social constructs. They have built huge reams of meta information. They have built a collection. No. Okay, hold on. They have not built that. They have collated other people's work. They've collated okay. other people's data. They have not created anything. They've just simply cataloged. There's so much of it that they have to create tools to catalog it effectively. There's so much data coming in. They created the methods and this, the format in which it would be stored and retrieved and operated on. They've created the algorithms that go through and produce the, the content feed, which is what stimulates this work into happening a lot of the time. So there are definitely things they have produced that they've made. It's not tangible things, but processes and, and services they make that is material contributors to the work as you're describing it. So I don't think it's fair to say, I don't think it destroys the analogy either, but I don't think it's fair to say that Facebook doesn't really produce anything. It's, it's their users doing everything. No, they've produced quite a lot, you know? Or, or they, a long time ago, they've been doing this now for a long time. I think Facebook was originally written in PHP. But PHP is not very performant, especially not 2006-era PHP. My goodness, was it bad. So they have their own version of PHP, have for a long time. It's like a high-performance PHP fork. They've been maintaining it forever. I don't know if they ever released it back to the community or not. I don't think they did. But it's Facebook's PHP version. So they have definitely created products use internally some they've released there are results that are theirs to state i I, I feel bad defending them because i really no, want no, this no, I, I understand what you're saying i i think the and i don't think this is your intention mm-hmm. but what i'm hearing from you is you're saying oh but they do actually do so, a few things so therefore argument invalid like mm. i'm not saying that facebook doesn't develop code they do mm. You know, they also developed, worked on and helped develop the Open Compute Project. Mm -hmm. Um, Noah did a video about their servers one time, uh, which I will try to remember to link in the show notes. I mean, they definitely do work themselves and produce Mm -hmm. things themselves. Okay. But here's my question. Is their code development worth 30 billion last year? Probably not. It was not worth 30 billion last year. Okay. Was the method they use for analyzing data and putting it into the database was, was that worth 22 billion the year before well no it, it wasn't you know if you built the same exact code that they did would you be able to sell that code for a billion dollars well probably not no yes they produce things but by and large they are producing only the things necessary to take advantage of the effort by other people okay uh, it still makes me uncomfortable, but I have to uh, concede the point. You're right. If we go back to the feudal analogy, you know, if the Lord Baltimore or Lord Calvert, the first baron of Baltimore, if he set up a market in, in you know, the area and says, OK, if you're in this, this region, you can come sell your stuff there. Well, yes, that market did cost a certain amount of money. Mm-hmm. It required labor. It required effort. Mm-hmm. But that effort was not going to be congruous 
with the percentage he would be slicing off of every person that used that market. So it's not saying that he's not entitled to make a profit off of his effort. No, because he would be. But I think there's a limit at which the when the the person doing the creation is getting the smallest percentage and sometimes none of the value. There's a problem there. And I think that's that's what leads me into that feudalism thing, because with feudalism, I mean, it all flowed up. And that was all that mattered. So there's an analogy here that I want to make to your analogy. Okay. The words you just stated reminded me of the music artist's relationship to their published music. Music artists, especially now in the streaming era, they don't really make a lot of money on the audio as it's played by by end users. You know, back in when people were buying CDs for everything, there was, you know, complaints about how little, what percentage of the album sale was actually going to the art. And it was usually like, 1.5% 1.5% or less, something absurdly low. So it seems like there's an analogy to be made there, but I don't know that it translates quite right. Hmm. I think, let me let that marinate a little bit more. It seems like there's something there, which is they, they're getting so little benefit from it, but they, they make all their money on tours. Not all, a lot of them, you know, endorsements, tours, showing up for private events, things like that. That's where a lot of the money is if you're a published artist. It's difficult to make money just selling music and never touring, frankly. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, industries that are practically vampiric with mm-hmm. the, the actual people doing the stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's no denying that. I think the reason that social media gets a different level of hostility from me in looking at this is because of how pervasive it is mm-hmm. and the the lack of control that the individual doing the creation actually has because mm-hmm. at any point in time of course as we know we've talked about in our episode with with Dr. Yen you could be yeeted off a platform and there's nothing you can do about it you're done mm-hmm. and so even if you were creating value off of you know, you have a small business and you're promoting it on Facebook or whatever, and you're you're getting customers. Yeah, okay. So you you're actually generating decent revenue for yourself from Facebook. When you get yeeted off, all of your benefit is gone. But mm-hmm. all of the data of yours that Facebook has, and by the way, can still data mine, mm-hmm. they can continue to profit off of. Mm-hmm. Because in perpetuity. Right, because you know, oh, you've gotten yeeted off the platform. That doesn't mean they've gotten rid of your data, mm-hmm. because that's still valuable data to them. Mm-hmm. So now, at that point, you are literally getting no benefit. You're mm-hmm. actually being harmed because right because you, you're blocked you put in the market. In, yeah. Well, you've been you've been separated from your work. You've been separated from your effort completely. You can't benefit from it at all, but yet they still can. Facebook can still profit off of what you did. You're creating a stand in a market, and then you're kicked out of the stand, but the stand and all the stuff that you brought in to sell is still there. Correct. And so they can put someone there if they want, or they can just like put a little you know bucket by there that says, hey, if you want to buy one of these donuts, uh, put a dollar in this bucket. And then they go collect the bucket. You're not there to collect it. Bad. That's a bad analogy. But uh, well, it, it is, reminds it, me it, of a market. It's an analogy, so I'm I think tr- people will to, understand. To bridge the, yeah, I'm trying to bridge the work element. I'm still kind of stumbling over that. So I make posts about kittens. That's work. That's a produced product. I could make that post about kittens anywhere. I could make it in a place where someone wants to pay me for it, if there is such a place. I don't know. I'm sure there is somewhere on the internet. Someone's like, make a cute post about pittens and kittens, and someone will support you. I'm sure that's a thing. Oh, definitely. No doubt. Rule 34, you know. Well, we didn't even need to go that direction. There's right, just yeah, people okay. that love cats online. Okay, so there's there's another rule here. We'll just say, if it's cat thing, it's on the internet somewhere. So, I guess. So they own the market. They get all the benefit of that work. If, you, if they decide to kick you out, they still get to keep all that. And continue to make money off of it. That's the thing right there. Like, if they kick me out, in fairness, they should also expunge the data. But they don't. They're not going to, ever. Except if you're in Europe and you demand that they do so. Right to be forgotten. Well, yes. However, 
how do we really know it's being deleted? And they're just not moving it to another server that doesn't have access to be fetched and used online. Yep. And I'm sure that data that has been deleted is still a part of the anonymized group data. I'm so, because I'm there, there was, I know this was years and years and years ago. Uh, there was a guy from Ireland. It was before all of the privacy stuff against Facebook started up, mm-hmm. who did a request for all of his information from Facebook mm-hmm. and was astonished by how much data they had on him. They actually gave it to him? Yeah, for some reason, through some weird thing, <laughs> wow. he got That's access a to very it, bad and he got, yeah, he got a DVD full back to him oh of gosh. all of his data. Oh my and he gosh. started looking through it and realizing, like, uh, where did they come up with this? Because they just did inferences based on all the things he said, his timeline, the people he linked with, and all of that. All of that was, you know, was there. Wow. And, like, he freaked out. Like, it had information on, like, his sexual preferences because of comments that he had made in private messages then relayed to you know how they linked that with oh well he also was in a relationship with this girl and we know from her messages that she prefers this so then therefore we can make an inference that like all sorts of stuff and he was like holy crap but the real thing that pissed him off as if that wasn't enough (laughs) was there were things that he had explicitly deleted Mm -hmm. like he had removed because he wanted it gone that then he got back years later in his data dump and he's like oh they never deleted this they no, kept they it didn't. They all kept they did it. was just now i don't see it. like don't show the user this Visibility that was, that yeah. was deletion mm-hmm. so yeah you can be sure that even if european law says they have to delete it, it the data is going somewhere it's not getting it only ever goes deleted. in it never leaves it's like a chuck e cheese token you put five dollars in you get tokens back You'll never get those converted from tokens back to dollars again, even if you decide to leave. Can't hand, I suppose you could get someone else who hasn't gotten their tokens yet. Hey, I will give you all these tokens for $5. And it's up to that person to decide or not. That's the only way out of the system. You know, there's a music shop I like to go here to here in North Dallas, and they will buy your stuff, but they won't buy your stuff for cash. They'll buy your stuff for store credit only. Unless it's something really extraordinary that they know they can flip pretty quick, you know. But in general, they are only interested in, we'll take your stuff and you can take something else home of, of equivalent value, whatever the difference is, we'll cover that or you'll cover that. But the money never leaves the cash register, ever. So that's what it seems like. If you're Facebook, why would you delete something? What incentive is there for you to delete, ever? There's only more value to be made from keeping the data. Yeah, and the other problem is, Un, not knowing how their references work in their database and everything. Mm-hmm. If you do delete something, is that going to screw up something else because you've now deleted mm-hmm. data that something else relied on in the calculation of a model? Yeah, actually, that's a good point, too. Then that, that's the reason they can go behind closed doors to Congress and say, we can't actually delete all this if we just flag it as gone. But we still, it's still part of uh, this decision tree that we can't. You want it, and it's probably what they would do. They would say, if you want us to be able to show you the progeny of these things here, we have to have all of the data, including the deleted data, because it was at one point used to make inferences. So if you're tracing back the lineage of how did you conclude this? And it's because you said this here, and you also related to that person there, and then we assigned you into this equivalence class of people, and those equivalence class of people tend to do these things. Then we took that input, and we put it into another algorithm, and we came up with this conclusion. If you do any one of those things are not present in the, in the relationship, you're like, well, we can't actually tell you. And if I'm, if I'm a senator asking you, demanding that you tell me how you got to that conclusion, we can't tell you is not an adequate response for any reason or anybody. So it's actually not in their interest to ever delete anything. They've got financial incentives. They've got um, logic incentive, for lack of a better way to put it, or algorithmic incentive, perhaps. I should be terrified by that, but I guess I kind of expect it. Maybe. But just uh, in the back of my head, I just always, like uh, I say this at work, anything I say on Teams or any video I put on there or anything I write on an email or in Slack or Teams or whatever, I may have to defend that in court someday in front of 13 people without any context. So someone trying to make me look as bad as possible would pull that thing out that I wrote or said and repeat it to somebody in court, and they're trying to make me look bad. So I'm always mindful of that when I'm writing stuff down. I take the same approach in social media. That could be used for anything, even 
things that I would not want it to be used for. I don't have a choice in it. I'm giving that data up to them. And at the, so the second I give that data to them, I'm releasing it and I lose all control over it. And it's not like it just stays with Facebook. I'm sure they're, they're swapping some data with other brokers because they're getting they're piping data in from other brokers that they don't get. And so they do kind of a swap. Some of mine for some of yours kind of thing. So my data goes everywhere. The second I release anything, any at all. I've, I've used this term digital wake in the past. That's what I mean. Every action, every, every thought, every character you type in there is useful to them somehow. Or the fact that you, you started to write something and you stop. I'm sure they're tracking that too, like in Facebook Messenger. He was going to respond to this message from her, but he didn't. He started to write these words because they know they've got the buffer. They can read what you wrote. And then he stopped and he erased it. They probably have a record of that. One record for he wrote these things and then another record immediately after that, he erased it. It didn't get sent. No. When you really stop and think about how deep that goes, that's pretty terrifying. How much there is. And even if you don't have an official profile, in Facebook, as, as you've alluded to, the shadow profiles, they're still collecting. So my wife doesn't have a Facebook profile, but I told her that, no, don't worry, when you're browsing, well, there's probably when you're browsing, it's going under my account because she doesn't use a computer much. But on her phone, Facebook is collecting data about you, whether you like it or not. She actually got really offended by that. Like, what are you going to do? You could, the only thing you can do is just not go on the internet. Or, or go become a digital hermit and use Brave and and isolate yourself from anything that collects data and turn off all JavaScript and turn off, you know, every third party cookie and basically make the web experience worthless. That's what you have to do. And I don't know if people want to do that unless they're being hunted by a state actor. That's about the only people I can think of that'd be willing to do that. Because you're basically desubscribing from the entirety of modern life when you do that. I just took that about three tangents away from where we were originally talking. So I'm bring no, that's it fine. back. Yeah, well, this is the opinion dominion. So we kind of go, we go wherever the discussion takes us. But it feels like there was, there's more, more territory to explore in the original concept that I think we can return to. Okay, so do do you understand now at least the perspective that I'm coming from? I believe with I do. What I'm saying. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now the big question: What do we do about it? How do we fix this problem? Like we fix feudalism in general, in in you know culture, but now that we're recreating it, like. How can we stop it? How can we? I don't know if we can turn the clock back, so to speak, but how can we change the trajectory? Because this is only going to get worse as more things get digitized and data collection becomes even more invasive, which is terrifying mm -hmm. to think of considering how invasive it already is. Right. Yes. Um, how did we fix it in the 1400s? We empowered people. First of all, there was a rise of a mercantile class, like a middle middle class. We empowered people with free market to go and make money as they could. And over a couple hundred years or four or five hundred years, an entirely new class of people. It wasn't just the noble highs and, and the, the peasant rabble that were leasing land. There's people in the middle, the trades. And so they, they could own land. They could own their own work and labor. And I guess we would have to do the equivalent here. Maybe everybody becomes a broker for their own data and they choose to parcel it out somehow. I don't know how that would translate though. Honestly. Okay. So you, you want to use Facebook, let's say. How would you use Facebook while also not giving them any data? You can't because to not give them any data means you're not using Facebook. So by virtue of using Facebook and, and the benefits it provides, the services that you're getting from Facebook, you are having to give them your data. So it seems like the only way to win is not to play in a war games thing. If you don't want them, if you don't want to be a serf, then don't go to places where you're a serf. But then you're not really, you're again, you're desubscribing from modern life when you do that. Let me think about this. There's got to be another way to do that. There's got to be another way to control that. There's obviously going to be some some legal framework that has to enforce some of these rules. We know we do we you know we talked about that two episodes ago, and it just seems like that's only one piece of the puzzle. Let me see if I can capture another piece of it. I, I honestly don't know off the top of my head how would you do that. Did you, did you when you're thinking about it come up with something? So the only thing I've come up with is a some type of new legal framework that 
what an individual creates online, they own the rights to. Mm -hmm. And they can extend usage rights to companies, mm -hmm. but they can also revoke those rights. Mm -hmm. um, that paired with somehow, and I don't know how you would create some way for transparency for people to actually be able to verify that that was being respected. Blockchain. That's you, just, you just had to say that, right? I just Well, no, that's the thing that popped into my head because I'm like, how is it you could maintain control and prove that it was you, but also, well, you can't control who gets to it. It's published in the blockchain. Yeah. Right. So the only other thing I could think of is if there was, and I'm, I'm trying to recall uh, what uh, a guy, developer Ian Geyser, um, that you actually know as well. Uh, mm -hmm. You've met him at Self. He used to work at Dev and IT. He has been oh, yeah, 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 yeah. working on a project for, it's kind of like a social media site system network. I don't remember all the specific details. But from my, my lay understanding is that it effectively kind of works through an RSS feed. Okay. Or an RSS feed type thing where you create your data and it's on your feed. And people can subscribe or not subscribe to your feed. And when they do, they can then get access to it. But then you can effectively turn that off mm -hmm. and say, no, this person can't have access to it or this person can or, or so on and so forth. But that you as the individual have control over all of you, the data that you create. Mm -hmm. um, now, that project has been trying to be created for a long time. Long time. Yeah. And when I talked with Ian, I think it was summer last year, I asked him about it and he was like, yeah, we're, we're still working on that. So... Mm -hmm. I don't know how much effort him and the other developers are putting in on it, but it, it has not taken off. But I that's the only the other thing I can think of. The average person's not going to want to do that effort. They just want well, to you would have to have stuff. a slick front end to make it easy. Yeah, you would have but to. if you did that, then I don't see why it would be a problem, because people don't care what's going on in the back end. Obviously if, not. If, if they did, they would have more right. concerns about social media in general. Yeah, They, the mythical they. So there's an interesting... I, this is not a solution for the current problem you've established, but it is an interesting solution to a thorny problem. Um, how do you get people to save money? Especially in poor parts of the world. You know, if you're in a poor country and everybody's living on practically no money a day, how do you incentivize someone to, who's got practically nothing, to save some of it? You know, because if you need new something, you need a new gas tank or something in your car to get to and from work. You got to have enough money set aside to be able to pay for that, or else you can't go to work, and all of a sudden you lose everything. So clearly, we have plenty of reasons to to want to save or to have savings, and it doesn't take a lot of savings either to offer at least a little security net. But how do you incentivize incentivize someone to do that? Well, someone came up with the idea of uh, raffle savings. So you pay into a raffle, effectively, some number of people win some money, and the rest of them. Some part of that, what they've put in, goes to pay for the raffle. The other part goes into a savings account. So they're not actually saving; they're 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 gambling effectively. But it actually works. No, because you you don't think of it like I'm wasting money. You're thinking about I could earn more money. I don't believe it's legal in the United States yet. Although I've heard discussions that they've been trying to legalize it because it's a good way to incentivize people to save in the face of all these other demands on your paycheck, the things that you want, the things that you need. You know, cell phones now being $1,000 or $1,200 or whatever they are. Not everybody needs a $1,200 cell phone, but probably everybody wants one, most people. So if, you, if you're not making that much money, how are you going to pay for a $1,200 cell phone? So you've got to convince someone, instead of the cell phone, they should try instead to win more money over here with this raffle. Now, I thought that was a very creative solution to a thorny problem. And I think we could probably come up with some way to incentivize the random person to want to care about their data that much. I don't know what that something is, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm looking for as a solution is something like these raffle savings accounts. This is, there's an official term for it. I don't really remember it. I, I first learned about this in Freakonomics, actually. We were talking about well, the Freakonomics okay. So there's, there's a couple, there's a couple things. For one, the education is the, is the main thing. Mm -hmm. Educate people on proper financial, you know. It doesn't really Life. work. But, well, it, 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 it's hard. It's possible. But we don't even teach that in schools nowadays. So, you know, 
nobody's getting taught it. Uh, two, isn't that what savings accounts are? You, you put money in and you get money back with more. Like, Not in the last the 10 years. Not well, okay. okay. So that changes because of what, well, no, if you had money in savings accounts, you're still fine because that's FDIC insured. If you had money in other things, that then is a little different. No, I'm talking about the interest rate. Putting money into a savings account right now is actually not a good idea because you make nothing on it. What you're effectively doing is moving money out of your checking account in case your checking account gets hacked. You still have some money in a different account because you make nothing, 0.01% on your savings account. You, you don't make anything. So the well, modern savings account is really not worth it. There's a bigger problem. And oh, that sure. is the problem of inflation. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because when you, when you are dealing with inflation, if the inflation rate is higher than any percentage gain that you may get from any investment, mm -hmm. you're losing money. You're losing money. Mm -hmm. So that incentivizes you to spend the money now while it has value versus holding on to it because it's going to have less value in the future. This is what happened in Germany before World War II when they were going through hyperinflation is if you had money, you were better off buying something with it right now. Mm -hmm. And then reselling that in a week or two and getting what its value would be then, mm -hmm. then actually trying to hold on to your money in case you needed it in a week or two. Because in a week or two, well, the thousand dollars that, you know, that toaster was going to cost, well, the toaster is then going to cost $10,000 and you're Yikes. not going to have enough. Mm -hmm. um, mm. So you run into that problem. Now, that's just specific to finances. Mm -hmm. um, that's not specific to data. As far as how to get people to care about data... The only thing I can think is that they would then have the ability to get some value out of it themselves. Like, for instance, if if there was some rule passed or some law passed and they, they had, you know, rights to their data. And then Facebook was required that if, if you earn whatever, you have to give a person, I don't know, let's just come up with a random number, 5% okay. of the revenue that that person's data generated. So mm -hmm. if you have generated $1,000 off of that person's data in a year, they get 50. They get, well, I said, yeah, they, yeah. So they would, they get a certain amount like that would then people go, oh, hold on a second. You mean what I'm doing has, is worth money? Oh, mm -hmm. now the, the benefit for a company like Facebook would be, well, if you do that, people are then going to generate more data more. because exactly. they're going to want more. This was uh, the brilliant yeah. thing that, that, that YouTube capitalized on mm -hmm. is if you can create good content, you can make a little money. And once you start to make a little money and by making good content, if you make more content, you'll make more money. Mm -hmm. Well, it used to be that way. Yeah. Modern YouTube so, is not demonetized. Yeah. Well, that and they raised the bar on how you can even get into mm -hmm. the partner program now. Mm -hmm. um, it used to be it was pretty easy to get into the partner program and get the ads rolling on it, which you wouldn't get much revenue from, but you would get something. And you could trickle your way up over a long time building a library. So they stripped that out for a lot of people. The bar is pretty high now. I think it's 4,000 hours watched uh, a month is the entry level. Of your content that you've published? Yes. Okay. So you have to sustain 4,000 hours a month. Gosh, I'm which, trying to think of that. That's a, a lot. lot of, that's a lot. Considering a lot of you know videos that people put out are under 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Because that's usually the kind of the marker that that YouTube goes for, like try to get people to ten minutes. I wondered that's, about that. Yeah, that's there's a, a lot. Of there's people. a lot of videos that are like ten minute, fifty seconds, eleven minute, twenty seconds. So one of the reasons that happened is YouTube extended how long a video had to be to get the pre roll and post roll ads. Okay. And when they did that, then everybody was like, "Oh, well, if if my video is nine minutes and fifty seconds long." I'm not going to get it unless I go to 10 minutes. So let me just drag out another 10 seconds somehow mm -hmm. so then I can cross that barrier so I can click that box. So the recipe videos are the worst about that. I get the entire background on the, on the person who's made the recipe. I know their grandma, their grandma's grandma, exactly what pan they use to make the biscuits. And then 30 seconds of the biscuit recipe. Yep. You got to fill out that time so they can God, get those ads. Or, or the guys that are doing like game reviews, like there's a Red Dead Redemption 2 videos. And oh, there's this neat thing I found about this one corner of the world. And somehow it's an 11 minute video. No, no, it's just there's a wild man that runs around and howls at you. It's 45 seconds, it's amusing, and we're done. But it was an 11 minute video from Mr. Big or whatever the hell that guy's name was. 
he makes his money on it, so whatever. But yeah, but that's the only thing I can think of is if you can, if, if something was done, and I realize how nebulous that statement is, right? That then people they would have the ability to physically and directly see the value of what mm -hmm. they created. Yeah. Um, that would then kind of wake people up to, oh, so all of this stuff that I'm doing that I don't think is worth anything actually is worth something. And I mm -hmm. think that's kind of the key point. Because if you let someone know that they're doing something for free that they could getting pay be getting paid for, they're usually like, oh, hold on, wait, what? Mm -hmm. Tell me I'm more. I'm missing out. Yeah. I'm missing out on what I should be getting. Now they should. feel like they're yeah. they're losing out. Now they're interested. That's the only thing I can think of. But, but how... that's a great idea, though, because that's that's a very similar to the idea I was, I was pitching, like, this is something we need. You give someone the ability to earn money. It's it, Money speaks, you know? I, I, I know there's a lot of people out there that are doing video reviews, and, and they'll have companies send them random products, and they do a video review of it, and... You're supposed to leave a five-star review. It's, it's a whole cottage industry, right? But it seems like if you knew that by using Facebook two hours a day, you would make $75 a month. You're already using Facebook two hours a day. I want the $75. Yeah, bring it on or whatever. Yeah, you would have a... I don't know that many people would put that. It'd be, be too abstract. Like, why am I getting $75 from Facebook? Okay, because my data is valuable. Okay, that's interesting. How do I do something with that? But instead, if there was like a budget, the data that you've given us this month plus the data you've already published, like think think about your. I don't know if you've ever used AWS, but they have like this bill summary, and they kind of all the all the different categories of things that you've leased over the last month, and this is how much it costs you. I'm thinking something like that, comparing last month and this month, but this is the value that Facebook is assigning to all the data that you've given them. And then here's your 5%. That's what it calculates out to. So, but how do you really, I never click on ads. So I think my data would only be worth the categorization content and it's relations content. I don't really, I'm not ad driven at all. Well, so, you're not, but people who view your stuff might be, they I might guess. click on the ad that shows up next to your content. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. I'm saying when I go to look at my profile about what my data is worth, I would expect it to be worth less because I don't um, I don't click ads. And the more ads someone clicks on, the more valuable they are. I bet you could get a lot of people to click ads voluntarily if they were going to get 5% of the revenue. Of so the if revenue. memory serves, there was something like that way back in the day. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds familiar. An extension or something that you could run in your browser mm -hmm. where if you opened ads, a certain number of ads every day, you would then get, you know, whatever. Right. Um, I but, think that they probably. I don't think I know of any services doing that now. Perhaps because, well, no, because you don't it need to incentivize against, people to do that. They'll give you your data anyway. Well, that and it's a, it's a perverse incentive, and it goes mm -hmm. against what the ad company actually wants. Mm -hmm. Because the person who's paying the company who's paying the ad company wants that to be turned over into a transaction, mm -hmm. not just oh, our ad was seen. Mm -hmm. The whole reason they're paying for the ads is that they want to convert those ad views into successful transactions so just it's, it's like going paying for the lead you know spam for lead generation services we'll give you 400 leads you don't know what my business is you have no idea what it is that i'm trying to do what are your 400 leads going to be for elephant poop removal pool cleaning i don't need those things i'm not just going to pay you for 400 leads that doesn't do anything they're going to be targeted to what i need sorry and that's where the big data comes in because mm -hmm. that way they can target the ads that you exactly. want directly mm -hmm. to the people who might be interested in it. Yeah, exactly. That's that's why you pay the bigger bucks to one of these big services, I guess, because they have the they have the data to do the targeting. Yeah. I just don't. I, money speaks. I think that that's the the most direct way to get people to realize what it is that they're doing with their data or not doing. And I think it's a good start. I just don't know how you would do it. I don't know how you would achieve it. But I honestly think that that's a good concept. It's a good... No way that Facebook would go for it. I also think the more you're aware of the value of your data, the less valuable it becomes. Because I think not knowing how much your data is worth, it's more authentic. It's more you. You're just naturally being you and doing you things on the internet and they're collecting data about you. If you know you're, you're being watched, when people know they're being watched, they act differently. You know? 
So if you know you're being watched by all these companies and the results of your actions end up with a monetary payment to you, you're not going to act the same way as if you were just kind of naturally being you on the internet, naturally posting something on Facebook or talking to people. So I honestly think the value of your data goes down if you know how much value it has. In aggregate, you know, if it's just like if one person, if the gentleman from Ireland discovered how much data they have on him, and now he knows it's like being revealed that the, the matrix is real, you know, that it's out there. Now he's no longer a good target for advertising because he knows just how much they're collecting on him and it scared the crap out of him. Right? I think most people, if they actually stopped and understood how much was being collected and how many inferences were being made, how many things were being tied together, it would scare the crap out of most people. That You know, you think about dystopian society movies. Well, we're kind of already living in one. We just, they're doing a good job. They are doing a good job of hiding it from us. If you pull back the kimono on that, it's terrifying. Yeah. I don't really want to pull out the kimono on, on my data collected. I, I, I like to think that they don't have a lot of me, but I know that's not true at all. You know, it, it, maybe it's just hubris to think that I was um, evasive or something. Well, that's not I mean, true. we know for a fact that we're not, you're not because the uh, picture that I found for your yeah. profile picture for the, the, yeah. the podcast site, you looked at it, you're, you sent me a message. You're like, where did you find that? Yeah, that's from a long time ago. I really, I, I have the picture I want to update it with. I just haven't done it. I could crop it and, and a couple other simple things I just haven't done. So I'll try to do that after this episode, actually. Yeah, but yeah, that. That, that I have, I know of one place where I used that picture and possibly another, but it was like very obscure. I have no idea how it got filtered through the internet and came out and in such a place that you could find it. Did you just Google for my name? No. Okay. You're, are you going to reveal what it is you did to find it? No. Okay. I have secrets that I cannot tell. Okay. All right. You're still plumbed into things. I get it. I'm not going to ask anymore. I, but actually, returning back to the original concept and, and the res resolution for it, I think it, you're on the right path by saying it's a money incentive. I don't know how to take it past there. And even if we did know how to take it past there, we have absolutely no influence with the companies which would need to adopt these practices. I don't say it's a fool's errand, but it is a good thought experiment. And it's important for us to think through these things. So money talks. Let's see if we can take this idea and convert it into something for public awareness. I don't know. Or maybe maybe listeners have an idea. Something we're staring us in the face that we're not seeing or hearing. So listeners, tell us uh, what you think about the ideas we've post posted here, if we miss something. You know, we got the Telegram channel, the Matrix channel. There's always the email. You can submit a message straight on to uh, Fireside, I believe. Yep. And yeah, if, you go to the, if you go to the website, there's a contact form, um, and that will send a message to me. Or if you just want to do it directly in your email, it's jt at mindrapmedia.com. Mm -hmm. um, and as just said, the Matrix and the Telegram is open. Let mm -hmm. us know what you think. Give us your input. Any closing thoughts, Jeff? Be excellent to each other. <laughs> <laughs>